0: I felt like what the Lord wanted me to share with you guys this morning is uh, still in Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. And uh, it's interesting because what Don just said about listening body. This week the Lord is just he's given me a few uh, prophetic words for people, different leaders in the church. And so um, I've shared those words and I was talking to Barb about it on Friday night. Just how the Lord has been so like what He's put, I'm putting in my heart prophetically. He's then been showing me scripturally just how those pieces fit together. And I really believe kind of what Earl was just saying about the last days church I really believe God wants us to really get our wires cut on church. Um, Because what is going on all across, even in here, honestly, what's going on in our nation around the world is not the model that was ever found in the Bible. And so people's expectations, like even mine and yours and everybody's, they all got skewed through tradition. Like it was handed to us, you know? And so I get the gathering, which came out of the Jewish religion was synagogue, you know, and, but synagogue even was born out of their, their attempt at Mm -hmm. having a meeting, right? Because it wasn't the tent of meeting. Wasn't songs and, and a message to be preached. The tent of meeting was the presence, right so and that gets like i guess lyrically and how linguistically like that's what you hear converse, conversationally in most churches on a sunday morning is we're here for the presence well we walk in the presence right so that one day tent of meeting that you had to go to because that's where the father said i'm going to dwell on this mercy seat you come to me my way And you can dwell with me. And man failed and failed and failed and failed. So then God said, I'll send myself to you because you can't come to me. And I'll make a way to always be with you. Right. But what we did was we just kept having meetings. Like and it just has morphed into mega church. It's morphed into whatever it is. And even people who plant house churches, they (laughs) try to model it. After megachurch, and Don was talking about one day and he was like, we had like seven or eight people in the room and they wheeled out the, the 50 inch TV and did the countdown for the worship, you know, and it's like seven or eight people. You don't need the the beeper like eight, seven, six, you know, so the guy's ready on the guitar like go, you know, like so. But that model is just what's so ingrained in people's hearts and minds. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Hoping for three
0: cherries, right? Yeah. Jing! Like, yeah, he's here now. You know, and that's, that's what, you, you'll hear that a lot. But, none of this is a criticism of, because God's used all of that. Right? So, it isn't like, this was trash and we're looking for, this is what God's used. Like, man's worst attempts become God's best accomplishments. You know, like that's the amazing thing about Jesus. But that's, but the kindness of God is never to leave us in an ineffective place. Right? And here's what I mean by that. If the model is scripted, if it's three songs, five songs, whatever it is, even if it's spontaneous songs for a certain amount of time, and then a preaching... And then the people receive. And then they leave. Right? They're not leaving having grown in the midst of that meeting. And here's why. The Bible says you must share with those who are teaching you all things in the Holy Spirit. in Galatians.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So here's how you grow. You grow by getting an, a place where you share the revelation Jesus gives you. Yes. You don't. Grow by receiving someone else's revelation. But the church has been upside down in elevating men who seemingly have the revelation and everyone comes in and goes, give us the revelation. And what do they leave saying? That guy's a great preacher. That was a great word. That was a great this. That was a great that. Well, that isn't what Jesus intended for the church. You know what Jesus' intention for the church was? That we would come in And that we would be cut to the heart. That we would share in all things. We would break bread. If one has a psalm. If one has a hymn. If one has a word. If one has something. Then that's what God wants to use. Why? Because each person in the room is supposed to grow. You're supposed to leave church with more faith. More encouragement. More strength. In who he is and who you are. Exactly. And the body of Christ isn't broken, right? It can't be ineffective. The problem is we're not believing what he's established for us. And so when our mindset is meeting, and and here's what I'm saying. I believe God is shifting the entire idea of church. And here's what I saw this week. I, I text this to my buddy. Because he's going to be moving to Nashville. Um, Pastor Mike's going to move to Nashville out of Indiana. And um, yeah, and he had this opportunity come up, but it was megachurch type opportunity stuff. You know, potential job and interview and all that stuff. And so he asked me to pray about it. And so I did. But when I prayed about it, what I saw was I saw a room of fitness class. Like people weren't wearing Sunday dress. It was like we were there to work out. And in the room, which was like fitness, like more of a workout time, they were literally stretching, doing little calisthenics, just hanging out, communicating. But the centerpiece was Jesus. And the conversation was Jesus. And in the process of a few push-ups or a little stretch here, a little stretch there, it was, hey, I need prayer for And the person then walks over and prays for that individual or, hey, you know, I was I was reading my Bible this week and this is what the Lord spoke to me. And then another person started sharing and it basically all birthed out of something that did not at all resemble a meeting like this. And the Lord, I shared that with him and I said, brother, I really believe church is moving away from meetings as we know them because. The Bible talks about the church meeting in each other's houses daily, not getting together once a week. See, let me tell you something. If Don's in my house daily, not that it's always the same person, but if Don was in my house daily, he's going to see things he would never see on a Sunday morning. He's going to hear things he would never hear on a a Sunday morning. Like he's going to witness my wife and I in a momentary struggle. Right? He's going to witness my, my own struggles. I'm going to witness his own struggles. And, and if, if the body of Christ is really supposed to bear one another's burdens, build one another up, strengthen one another, love one another, preach the good news, deliver the, the captives, then guess what? It's going to require that we don't just do meetings. And so the Lord showed me that church is actually going to look like you having three or four people over for dinner. And you're all cook a meal together in your in your diet, in your kitchen and then you sit down at the dining room table and you eat together and you're breaking bread, but who's the centerpiece of that conversation? Jesus. Like what why are you there together? See what's happened is the church has substituted church for a meeting, and since they go to meeting, then when they're together, Jesus isn't the center. It's ritual. And what do most people talk about once they get together? The Bible study turns into golf games and fishing and all these other things that don't have any place that Jesus Christ being the center. Then there's no power. There's no display of the Holy Spirit. There's no one getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's nobody being filled up. So what happens is they go to Bible study, do a book study, and they leave, and nobody's changed. But that's their small group that they say is bringing intimacy into the church because I was there on Sunday. So now I don't have to deal with the stuff we deal with on Sunday. Let's just have a good time. Let me just tell you something. You can't have a good time without Jesus.
1: It's
0: true. I'm not a very fun person to hang around unless you want to talk about Jesus. Like, I don't know anything about sports. And I don't, you know, like, I go fishing to have a relationship with a guy who likes to fish. But I'm like, I really don't like fishing. I like eating snacks. You know, like, I'm just there like... He's smoking and fishing and I'm eating granola bars, you know. I'm like, but it's relationship, right? So I'm not saying those things are bad. But what I am saying is our lives as the body have to become centered on Jesus. So that when we have people over for a dinner, we're not afraid to reach across the table, take them by the hand and pray over them in that moment. And it happened Friday night when Barb was at our place. She said, you know, I've had this thing. And she was able to reveal a piece of her life. That then other people were able to just immediately. It wasn't like, oh, let's wait, let's pray for you on Sunday. But that's the mentality of like 95% of the people. Like, you got to struggle? Hey, come to church with me on Sunday and pastor will pray for you. Like, what? No, like you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, pray for the person right now, right here. And think about that. If the church starts to look like meals, hanging out. You know, I don't care if you get four people and you go out on your boat and you're just cruising around on the Tennessee River and you're just talking about Jesus and you're having an amazing time. It's life. Like church was supposed to be life. Life was not supposed to take a moment and then become church. It's literally supposed to be like the coffee shop. You're just there at the coffee shop, people coming in. It is church, it is the relationship with Jesus. Jesus wasn't like. No, guys, we're, let's wait till Saturday morning at, at nine o'clock and I'll explain to you the parable of the wheat. You know, like <laughs> you get it? Like they pick the wheat. The Pharisees are right there. <gasps> Do you see that? They pick the wheat. It's the Sabbath. Jesus wasn't like, we'll discuss it in synagogue. You get it? Like it was life. And that's what Jesus was all about was life. And that's what he's still all about is life. And it's like, if I want to reach loss, think about this with me for a second. For generations, we've been having Sunday meetings that are scripted, like Donna talked about, they're scripted, you come in, and you supposedly watch this guy and these people, and then you leave, and you don't experience any power, You, you may experience some hype, you may experience that kind of thing, but in reality, think about that if you're a lost person. Why do you want to come in and get hooked up into that mess and then just be like, well, now you got to dress like this, and you have to be like this, and then you can be like that. And, you, and you know what? That guy up there, he's amazing. He's planted 280,000 churches and saved 300,000 people. And you're like, well, I'll never be like that. Why would I want to be? Oh, what? You
1: should be more stuff centered on feeding
0: this Exactly. And your soul can't be fed if you could never respond like that. Because right. you just got a revelation And if it was in a normal church, you had to sit there quiet. And if you spoke up, someone with a suit might come and take you and usher you out. Because the man on the the stage is the only one who can talk. You see what happens? Watch this. What about altar calls? Why do we give altar calls? Peter didn't give an altar call when 3,000 souls came into the kingdom. Do you know what he said? He said, you must believe in your heart and be born again. And people were like, I'm in. 3,000 of them. They're like, I'm in. Do you know why we give altar calls? So the man who preached the message can take credit for how many people got out of their chair and walked down the front of that place. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but that is why it's done. Yeah. I don't care how righteous you think it sounds. Like, it's true. We don't need to know if somebody walks down an aisle. What we need to know is somebody been born again and filled with the power of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? When they are, they'll know and you'll know. You know how many people have walked an aisle and gotten a ticket to hell? Because they walked an aisle and a man said, pray this prayer. And they thought, for me to be a part of this environment, I have to do these things. When you give an altar call, you start the fragment of law in their life. To be born again, walk down this aisle and give your life to Jesus. Walk down this aisle. No. No. Be born again and believe in Jesus Christ. Tozer would not give altar calls and most people would throw him out, out of their churches. He'd even tell people, I don't want you to come down here and I don't want to know where you're at. He's like, in fact, if you don't know where you're at, then go home and figure out where you're at and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because he understood like he wasn't into how many people did Tozer save. Now, here's the point. Am I criticizing every person who's ever given an altar call? No, because I've given them. Why did I give them? It's the model I saw. It's what I learned. Why did Billy Graham give altar calls? He learned it that way. Did God honor the altar call? Absolutely. You get what I'm saying? like, But I am saying at some point you can't keep going down a path simply for the sake of making a man bigger and a man better. You have to stop, humble yourself and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? And be honest about it. The leaders in the church of Jesus Christ need to get a heavy dose of honesty. They do. I'm telling you, like heaven needs to back the dump truck out. Michael, the Gabriel need to be driving right up into their face and dumping honesty into the leaders of the church of Jesus Christ. So they can look at it and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why have I not let anybody else in this 3,000 member church speak on a Sunday morning? Are all 2,000 men in this church in and ill-equipped to speak and share the word of God? Let them ask the question and let them answer it honestly. You got a church of 40,000 people and you're the only one who's ever preached? Come on. Well, no, we invited so-and-so from the other 40,000-member church because obviously he's qualified. He preaches to 40,000 and I preach to 40,000. So, you know, we share time in each other's churches. Like, what? (sighs) There are people who need to share what's inside them. And Jesus is ready to break it loose. It might even look like you go into your neighbor's house and they're having a barbecue and they're getting wasted with a six-pack, of Miller Lite. And yes. you're sitting on their porch with them and you're enjoying explaining to them any questions they have and loving them right where they are. Amen. That's going to be church. Yeah. And if you're not equipped for it and if you don't think that's how Jesus can move, you're going to miss it in the last moment. True. You get it? Like, Jesus never, he would go to the wedding and they're like, he eats and drinks with sinners, you know, like... They're like, he eats and drinks and he has a demon. Like, Jesus was there. He was in the midst with the people. Why? Looking for the one who would believe. Like, and so I just, I I want to encourage us to help us keep cutting those wires that keep us so ingrained in the stuff we thought was the way it should be done. And I'm not saying it would go away from having a time of gathering together. To encourage each other and share. I'm not, tell, I'm not saying that. But I am saying it's going to increase. And it is church when you're having a meal with people. It is church when you're at work. Like I get We've We've had this language, the linguistics for a long time. Outside the four walls, outside the four walls. And then nobody's living it. Why are we saying it? <laughs> like, And it, here's why. Our brains tell us, no, 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 no. It's Sunday morning. It's the pastor. It's the church leadership, right? And so that's what gets us always pulled back into that place of religion. So I'm just prophesying to you. God's asking you and me to step up and start being church like all the time. Like, just having those those people in your life that you're in. I mean, it doesn't have to be non-saved people. You could have four or five people over from the church family that you're a part of, or another church family, have a meal. But keep Jesus the center of it. Like, and I think that's that's more the point of this thing, is not where the meeting and how the meeting. The point is, meetings don't, they don't take the place of Jesus being the center. Like, we had a meal on Friday night with, with, uh, with Barb, but it was, Jesus was the center of that meal. We laughed and, and we had a great time, and we, you know, we had a lot of different things we talked about, but it all came, always came back, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that I love. that That's like where I want to live my life, you know, so that's what I'm growing up into. And so, where that took me about what Exodus, what the Lord wanted me to share with you this morning, is in Exodus 20, uh, 12, it's in 12, and it's, i just start in 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. They had asked Egyptian, the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. Um, this is the word the Lord gave me today. The authority in the ask. The authority in the ask. If our mindset is ever in the, gets back into the caste system the church has created, right? If we go back to have one of the elders pray for you because the Bible says have the elders pray, but that doesn't say only the elders pray. The elders, are, that's part of responsibility of being an elder. Have the elders pray for you because that's our responsibility. But that doesn't mean only the elders in the church pray. Get it? So the mindset that the pastor walks in a different power Than you. Is a lie. And it's a lie from hell. Because the same power. That the pastor walks in. Is the same Jesus. Who's in you. But The problem is. The pastor may believe. That Jesus works in him. And you may not believe. That Jesus works in you. So it isn't about the pastor having more power. It's about you don't believe that you walk in the same power. You follow? So if we get into a caste system mindset in the church, here's what we'll do. We'll go to people we think walk in more power to ask the things we, need, we know need to be asked. But when you understand what authority you have, you're asking changes. So today, most Christians will, will pray, with, pray prayers that are pleading and begging prayers to God. And most of those prayers that are going to be released have already been answered. But the people don't believe it. So they continue to plead and beg for things that are already done. absolutely
1: but they lost their trust or maybe a part of their faith in that trust issue
0: mhm yeah because so that's a great word because losing your faith right or trust is actually unbelief okay it isn't it isn't like you 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 obtained trust and then some of it ran out of your hands. What it was, was you believe or you don't believe. And when you don't believe, you don't trust. So not trusting is always a product of not believing. And so what the Lord gives us opportunity for is repentance to say, where I don't believe, I will believe. So again, it goes back to that authority thing, because if if you plead and beg God for things he has already established. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And you don't believe that they've been established. (laughs) Then you're not walking in the place to see the manifestation of the outcome. Mm -hmm. So here's how it works. If I think that I'm lacking, 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 lacking. And I'm praying from lacking. Then I'm always asking for something. Because I don't know that I already have it. Get it? So he told me the spirit of God lives within me. The very divine nature of God lives inside me. Meaning I have access to that divine nature 100% of the time. Jesus is never mad at me and shutting me off. He's like, you can have it all. You can have all of it that you believe in. Right? So here I am. Now I have all patience. I have all kindness. I have all peace. I have all hope. I have all joy dwelling right here. But if I don't believe it because I've been lied to by my circumstance or lied to by a relationship, I suddenly ask for it when he would look at me and say, you have it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, God, just give me hope today. You have hope today. Use it. Right? You can't ask for what you have, you have to use what you have. So, when you walk in an authority, which is the establishment of who you are in Jesus, your prayer life needs to then align with your identity. If Christ is in me, what kind of prayers did Christ pray? What kind of conversation did Jesus have with the Father? His conversation with the Father was thank you, Lord you've revealed this thing to the to the innocent to the childlike and you've concealed it from the wise and the learned thank you lord for breaking this bread that i'm about to give to 5000 plus people thank you that you've done this thing thank you that it's already established like the kind of prayers jesus prayed wasn't oh god give me the power to cast this demon out of Dave Fahiti, you know the prayer was get out be silent go away Peace be still, calm the storm, declaration, 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 because Jesus understood his authority. So here's the deal with asking, okay? Chris, when you ask Arlen to do something, you don't have the fear of rejection or vulnerability inside you because you are Arlen's authority, Right, So you're in the living room, and Arlen has left his toys out in the living room. And you say he's in another room, and you say, Arlen, please come and clean up your toys. Right, That ask is an ask with authority. And when you ask with that authority, now there's an expectation that the responsibility, that is his responsibility, will be fulfilled. When he doesn't fulfill the responsibility, you're not wounded. Right? You're actually sitting in a place of authority still. And now you haven't fulfilled your responsibility. There is a consequence. Right. And whatever that consequence might be, it might be minor, it might be major. That's how it works in a human relationship. OK, so when you ask with authority, you don't feel vulnerable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But now reverse it and now say that you need a raise. Now you have to go to your boss. And the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Mm -hmm. If you believe and don't waver in your heart that what you've asked, you believed you have received it. So watch how it changes. Now, because you're the employee, you go into the boss and you say, sir, uh, I'm just not making it on the money you're paying me. And I need $2 more an hour. I want to work for you and I want to do the right thing. But, you know, I I just need this money. The whole time you're asking that, you have this nervous pit in your stomach because you're vulnerable, right? You're vulnerable to the no, you're not going to get a raise. And you're vulnerable to how is the boss going to perceive me after I ask? It's not just the answer to the question. It's also the interpersonal relationship of does now my boss, is he going to think I'm like always asking for stuff? And now you're running down this trail, right? Right? That's humanity, okay? That, that would be a legitimate example of the ask with authority and the ask without the authority. But this scripture that Jesus has given me today, the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. You have to, I have to, we have to, as believers, walk with this. Again, last week we talked about anchors, right? Why were Ananias and Sapphira killed? Because they were condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If they were in Christ, they never would have died. Mm -hmm. The anchor for one, one of my anchors is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Another anchor that you have to have as a believer is that you have favor in the sight of every single Egyptian. You already have the favor. And how do I know that's true? The Bible says in Psalm 8 that Jesus was clothed with glory and majesty. Jesus said in John 17 that he said, The same glory I have, I'm giving it to them. The same glory Christ walks in, which is the favor, the grace of God upon his life, is the grace that I walk in. I don't walk in a different grace than Jesus. And you know what the church has done? I had a young man at our house yesterday... And the reason he was there is because he's riddled with some things he wants freedom from. He's begun his journey with Jesus. It's really in its infant stages. And he's he's telling me he went to this church. And it was for a kid who committed suicide in Farragut. And the kid committed suicide because of the pressure that was on his life. And in the church, the preacher preaches a message and basically tells the entire congregation, anyone who commits suicide is going to hell. And so this kid's heart is like... Is that true? I was like, bro, murder is sin. Self-murder is murder. And Jesus' blood is bigger. See, the issue is the church has taken behavior and tried to determine through behavior who people are. And when you try to determine through behavior who people are, you're never focused on who he is. And if you're not focused on who he is because you're focused on who you are, then by focusing on who people are and what they have done, you try to morally create a God that everybody can then appease and be a part of. When in reality, the whole purpose of the church was to know who he was so that you could know who you are so that you could then be who you are. It never was about who, what you do, and who the behavior and the behaviors of. So it's like who's right, who's wrong in the room, who's got this, who's got that. None of that matters. Who believes in Jesus Christ, right? I'll show you the tree because it bears fruit, and it's a tree, and it doesn't care that it bears fruit. It just knows it bears fruit. So what happens then is if the church is focused on behavior, then it bases itself on comparison. And then it determines in comparison who is the authority in the room. So here's what Jesus said. I'm going to establish for the church authority. The authority will be the elders. The elders of the church, first responsibility is to be as close to Jesus as humanly possible. And if you're as close to Jesus as humanly possible, you will be the servant of everyone that you supposedly are in authority over. It's about serving. It's not about lording. It's never about hierarchy. It's never, you're not an elder to be the top in the church. You're an elder to be the bottom in the church. And we've gotten it screwed up. So much so that we make people the top and then we inflame the top by going, he's amazing, he's amazing, he's amazing. And the bigger he gets and the better he gets, the more he gets. And the more he gets and the bigger and the better he gets, the more people surround him. And then people drive for miles and miles and miles just to be around this man. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Jesus is in their living room waiting for them to encounter the Holy Spirit of the living God and become real in the reality of who he is in their life. But they're too busy worried about who the guy is that's preaching to even recognize Christ was sitting with me on my couch this morning. Do you get it? Like Jesus is so important and so amazing and so big that all of everything hinges on him. And you don't have to go anywhere and be anybody and be anything to know the reality of that truth. That's what's so exciting about the church, the kingdom, Jesus live inside of us. That's the hope I get to give to a 17 year old boy at my my island yesterday. The hope I give him is not go into a place and learn about what they want you to learn about. The hope I give him is you can know him and know him intimately, and he can share with you every detail and anything you ever wanted to know. He's the answer. It's so exciting. True. That's the answer to suicide. Total. And what he was going through was like precursors to even that kind of a mentality. Where this kid was at was like, he's so riddled with the pressures of life. And I said, have you ever been told that you're successful? No. Have you ever been told that you're important? No. So you're important and you're successful. Right? Because all he needs to know is that he is loved. And the moment that he realized that... (laughs) And he's anointed prophetically, which is hilarious because he doesn't have a clue on like what that stuff is. And so I handed him a book, one of the books, Genesis Moment, yesterday. And he's like, he got really red. Like he turned bright red and he was like, man, he's like, this is so weird. I was driving here and I was like, they're going to give me a book and I'm going to have to go read at the Y. And he had like this entire prophetic download happen like on his drive out here. And when it happened, it freaked him out. Like he was just like. So weird. This is so weird. You know, and I was just like, I was like, no, man, you're anointed. Like God's going to continue to use this gift in your life. Like you're going to love on people through this gift. And so it was just such a cool thing for him. Not only did we have this conversation, but he got to experience the power of God in his own life. Right. And so if this kid isn't told the truth at 17, he'll try to live what we all tried to live Churchianity. And at 17, Jesus is like, it's time for these ones, the wild ones, to become who I call them to be. Yes. To not have any of that restriction. To know that when he's running cross country with his classmates, he's having church. That when he talks about the clouds and the trees and they're telling him to shut up, that he's actually declaring the glory of God and the firmament that's declaring it above him. That he's preaching a better message than most people when he's running a race with a bunch of people. And like, hey guys, you ever look at the clouds and they're like, shut up, you're weird. Because the Bible says nature itself describes the character and nature of God. He's preaching and he doesn't even know it. He's like, my friends think I'm weird because I always bring up the nature around me. I'm like, keep doing it. That's how you're preaching. That's how you're pastoring. That's how you're leading people. So the ask of our life in Christianity, our prayer life... Has to shift, and one of the ways mine shifted this past week, I was praying God would affect the election. Yeah. I was praying for the protection of our nation, not because i 'm a Trump fan, but because I want the fear of the Lord to rule. I want pro life I want non abortion I want rule of law, I want all of the things that Jesus said are right, right. i'm not pick- picking a a, a person i 'm picking what Christ said. And I get as close as I can when it comes to politics, okay? And so in that, the Lord, I was praying, affect the election, bring Trump into a re-election. And I stopped. I was in the middle. I was praying in tongues in my truck. And immediately I said, I declare Donald Trump will be president of the United States for the next four years. And it shifted because God was saying, don't ask me. You speak it. You tell me what the outcome will be. You declare where we're going. You describe what's going to happen. You are the one that I've chosen to co-labor with. My life's alive inside you, Justin. When you say abortion will be illegal, I say abortion will be illegal. When you say Planned Parenthood will be defunded, I say Planned Parenthood will be defunded. When you say Pregnancy Resource Centers will explode, I say Pregnancy Resource Centers will explode. When you say Drug Addiction will stop, I say Drug Addiction will stop. When you say your destiny and your future will come to pass, I say your destiny and your future will come to pass. When you say that your funds and provision will show up in your account and pay for every dream I've given you, I say every fund necessary will be in your account. Do you see? It's way different than if I'm sitting in my house claiming things because Justin has lust. For boats and lust for planes. And lust for money. And I'm in my house using Jesus' name in vain. To try to build up Justin's empire. Yeah. Then Christ is not saying. You shall have a boat. And you shall have a this. And Christ isn't into building my empire. He's not into building anybody's empire. But if a man or a woman will believe. Incorrectly. That Christ is into building their empire. Satan's really happy to start passing them some cash. Oh, look at this guy over here. He, th- he thinks Jesus is actually going to make him, make him, his personal life, greater and bigger and greater and bigger and greater and bigger. Let's do it, boys. And the whole time, you could be completely deceived. Here's the deal. Jesus wants to pour millions on every one of us. So that we'll pour millions out, yes, mm-hmm. and the problem—the the, not problem—the cool part about Jesus is you can't keep up with him. Like you'd be like, you're like Jesus, my hands sore. I keep writing checks." Like he's like, "Don't worry about it. Just keep stuffing stuff in my bank account." You know, like I'm like, "Here's another. <laughs> it's fun. It's more blessed to give than to receive." So he makes sure that your giving is possible because he keeps the thing full. So the asking with authority. Here's how it needs to shift in our lives. We have to declare what he already has declared. Because we're the bride. Do you understand like in a marriage, you all do understand this, but in a marriage, my wife doesn't have to ask me for everything. Like she isn't coming to me and she's like, hey honey, can I fill the car up with gas? I know it's going to cost about 40 bucks. Could it? Is that okay? She just fills the car up with gas, right? She doesn't come to me. She's not at the grocery store going like, "Honey, uh, almonds are—they got a little more expensive, and um, you know it's going to cost just like five bucks more." So, are you okay with that? But that's how most Christians pray. Mm-hmm. Jesus is like, "You're my wife. You're my bride." Just buy it and tell me how much you exactly. Go and do it. Bring it home. Do exactly what I've, what I've shown you to do. Do exactly what I've already called you to do. Be who I've called you to be. You are. I'm one with you. By the way, I'm so one with you that when you're at the grocery store and you're buying for me, and you're not supposed to buy something, I'll be right there with you going, hey, don't get that. That's how easy the relationship with him is. Like, You know what I'm saying? Like, He's not like, turn right, turn left, right, go, on, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me. He's like, just go.
1: <laughs>
0: go to where you're aiming. And if you start to, I'm going to be right there and be like, I'm your teacher. I stand behind you. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, you'll hear a voice behind you and it'll say, this is the way. Walk in it. He knows that I'm weak and I'm frail. He knows that my flesh is weak. So his intention for me is never to harm me. His intention for me is to do me well. So he doesn't want to walk around, watch me make mistakes in order that he can repair them. He actually is there to help me prevent mistakes. So when my asking changes because my authority changes, if I have the favor, this this word, by the way, in the Hebrew is grace. Same word. So what you have is the grace of Jesus on your life. Here's how it looks. I I shared this with a buddy this week. It was another prophetic word the Lord gave me, but the Lord showed me that he's supposed to ask his employer for just wages. And and if he goes in With the mindset of the example I shared with Chris. If he goes in thinking that the boss has the authority over him. He'll go in vulnerable. And he'll go in in a different mindset. But if he walks in with the authority. And the ask is actually out of his authority. He walks in the room knowing that he actually sits in authority over his boss. Because Christ has laid the grace of Jesus on him. Jesus doesn't walk into a room and not have the authority. So when he goes in, he's actually asking the employer from a position of laying the correct responsibility on the employer. It's the employer's responsibility by the kingdom of God to pay the just wage. Is it not? Jesus said, pay the wage. Scriptures are riddled with it. It's like, hey, pay your slaves. Take good care. And for that day, the slaves were like their employees. So you pay the wage. In fact, pay them a little more. The kingdom way is actually you don't just pay just wages. You actually pay a little more. Right? You don't go with somebody a mile because they ask you go with them how far. So maybe sometimes you pay your employees twice as much. And they're like, "Uh, uh, well, and you're like, "Eh, it's fun, isn't it? So, like, when he walks into that meeting, when he walks into that relationship, then he walks in saying, I'm asking for my just wage. He's not vulnerable. He's not vulnerable to what does the boss think of me. He is not vulnerable to the how is this going to shake out. He's actually like you with Arlen. The responsibility now is on the boss. Like, it's not on my brother. And so it's such a shift in the perspective of us as saints. Because... Literally, we're supposed to be so intertwined with Jesus that we begin to do that. And you know, when you actually begin to do that, you'll actually see the power of God manifest. But not just in your life, you'll see it in the lives of those people you're having the meal with on on Friday night, Thursday night, Wednesday night. Whenever you're with somebody, you're actually praying over them, you're actually seeing demons cast out, you're actually watching the kingdom of God manifest, and it's not a meeting. Like this, And so the Lord just really wanted, wanted me to challenge myself and challenge all of us into a place of more authority in our prayer life. And here's, here's what impedes it. I don't want God to think I'm presumptive. Right? That's what ends up impeding it. Because we don't want to get on the wrong side of God. You don't want to. That's that fear thing that creeps back in. And it's like well, I don't want to overstep my bounds. Like, do you know Jesus never said that? No. Ever. He loved overstepping his bounds. Like, he didn't go to feed 5,000 people and pray, oh God, there's 15,000 people on this hill. Send me, hang on. 1,400 fish, tilapia, two sides, 4,500 baked potatoes. Like, we need food for 15,000, God. And like, Jesus could have calculated it like that. He way overstepped his bound and he was like, thank you for breaking this. Boom, 12 basketfuls left over. Do you guys see what I'm saying? The generosity and the expansion of who Jesus was in every circumstance overwhelmed people. It's like his life was just this constant overwhelming people thing. And that's what God said. As I walk, so you should be walking on the planet Earth. And I'm telling you, God's not mad. He said faith pleases Him." I really think God would be more pleased with Christians pushing the envelope than sitting on the couch and never trying. Right? Because if there is a moment when you do... Jump out there and you're a little, little beyond where you should have landed. He's just going to come alongside you and be like, hey, let's correct the path. You're right here. You kind of ended up over there, but you're here. Right? I mean, and the grace is sufficient in that moment. It's not like, oh, don't ever ask again and don't ever jump out and don't ever be wild for me. Like, he's like, keep doing that. Because I'll, I'll continue to guide you. I'll continue to govern you. And what happened to the, to the Israelites? Because they asked. They plundered the Egyptians. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is what's critical for the next four years in our nation. We can't be a people who's begging God to change America. We have to be a people who changes America through what we say, through how we pray. The attack has to be full on from us because this is how we will plunder the Egyptians and make our exodus. It's literally going to come out of the mouth of the church. And he's looking to us and saying, "I've set you up. I've given you the revelation. I've given you the power. I've given you the authority. Use it." And we just start in our little our circle, right? And for those of us going to Washington DC on the 26th, we do it there. And for those of us who are in Seymour and those of us who are in Maryville and those of us who are in Knoxville, we just do it there. We just keep on. Those of us in the artistic being, wherever we're at, God's just going to just use our influence in that place. And that's just so freeing and liberating. We don't have a big expectation or pressure. But it's fun. It's a lot more fun to pray that way. I'm telling you, way more fun. I did that. Don asked me earlier, like, what did you do when you started the ministry and you, you didn't have anything? I sat around and begged God. It's true. God, I don't have anything. We don't have what we need. We don't have what we need. When are you going to show up? Why aren't you showing up? Where are you? We don't have it. We're never going to make it. You know. Not only do we not have it now, but what are we going to do in three months, God? Because if it's not here now, it sure ain't going to be here in three months. I don't know what you're dealing. I hate this. Why did you call me out here? I don't want to be in East Tennessee. I want to be back. Why can't I have a job? What's going on? Meanwhile, he's like, I've given it all. Like, I've. <laughs> if I call you to a vision, do you think I haven't funded the whole thing? God's not into, like, partial funding. I don't know if you knew that. Like, he's never, he's never given us an example one time. Partial funding. He's like, well, you want to build a temple? Mm, okay. Like, we'll set you up on a payment plan. We'll bring a little bit in at a time. No! They were like, stop bringing gold. Stop bringing the silver. Like, we got too much. We have way too much funds. Like we're just going to we're going to start building now. You guys can just stop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I just I want to encourage all of us that like there's dreams, there's things that live inside our heart. God has funded them already. He set it aside. Now all he's looking for us to do is write the checks. Sign his name. Roll on. <laughs> so I say yes and amen.